0: Bible with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. We're just jumping right in the middle of a context where Paul is talking to them about getting ready to give an offering to some folks that they're ministering to financially. And so he tells them in this chapter 8 and 9 about finances, about how God wants to supply you. And he said in verse 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now we've known and we understand by this scripture alone that Paul is taking us to the context of a farming situation. We all understand how a seed works, a natural seed, a tomato seed, a corn seed, and he's telling us it's the exact same analogy. It's a parallel to the kingdom of God, that whatever you understand about a tomato seed getting put in the ground, you can understand it about offerings, about giving, about sowing, about financial things. It's the same principle. So if you understand how to plant a tomato seed and watch it and grow it and nurture it and all that, he said you can understand it. It's the exact same. Verse 7, he said, Every man, talking about sowing bountifully, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Why? For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Powerful scripture, powerful principles, just concentrated there so that you and I can understand how God wants to fund our future. Hallelujah. You know, a lot of people have a lot of trouble, though, with God giving us so much free will. I remember a story years ago that they were talking about Russian immigrants coming over. They were Jews. They got into New York City, and there were stores everywhere, and you would have your money, and you could go into the store, and you could buy anything you wanted, a grocery store, a shoe store, just any kind of store. And these little Russian immigrants, it overwhelmed them because they were so acclimated to being told what they could do, told what they could have. We were in Russia, and we understood that you went into the store, and whatever they had is what you bought. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there was just one, maybe one can, maybe two loaves or whatever. And so that may not have been on the grocery list, but it was there today and you bought it. You were glad to go home and have it. But these little Russian immigrants, after a year, they couldn't handle all the choice, all the decisions that had to be made, all the things that were on them to decide. And they loaded their little red wagon up, and they went back over to Europe because there was not as many choices over there. The Bible says there in verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Purposeth in his heart. Purposes in his heart. Let's say that together. Purposes in his heart. Let's say it better. Purposes in his heart. God is letting you and I decide our future. He's got a great map. He's got a blueprint that is just beyond human comprehension. We hadn't got a hold of it yet. We've just got around the edges of all the good that God has for us. But he said, if you want to have bountiful, he said, as you purpose in your heart, sow bountiful. If you're not interested in that, if that's not your thing, you don't have a big insight on that, he said, just sow a little bit, just give a little bit, and it'll come out exactly as you sowed. He said, it's as you purpose in your heart. There's not a mandate here. Now, we're not talking about the tithe, of course. That's not something we decide. The tithe is already in the word. It's already there. But he's talking about, will a man rob God? Yet you would say, have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings, Malachi says. So offerings is something that the Jewish people were used to giving. And Paul is bringing this over to the Gentiles and telling them, just like it was then, that didn't change. Some things changed. Sacrifices, the way they sacrificed, changed with the new covenant, didn't it? Jesus became our sacrifice once and for all. So we don't have to lug a lamb up every Saturday evening and haul it down to the big fire pit and watch them carve it up and all that sort of stuff. We don't have to just walk 12 steps on the Sabbath and all those things. We were redeemed, but some things did not change. Amen? And the tithe did not change. Offerings did not change. And he said, it's up to you. There's not a law there that says if you don't bring in a 10% offering on Sunday, then we're going to smite you. God's saying we're going to deal with you. It's according to how you want to live. So people that are complainers, y'all know those people, that say, you know, life isn't fair. People don't do me right. The system's broke, and I don't like this, and I can't get along with that. They're just griping all the time, complaining. Well, you just need to know it's as you purpose in your heart. We have a part. It's not somebody else's responsibility to make our life good. It's not even God's responsibility. He's through working on us in the sense of the promises. Jesus did it, and it's done, and now we purpose in our heart to say, I'm going to have it this or that way. I want to talk to you this morning about that purposeth in his heart. It's talking about finances here, but really, I'm pulling that word out. The word purposeth means to choose for oneself before another thing. To choose for oneself before another thing. It literally means to reach a conclusion, now, in America, we have so many choices, we have so many ways to go, sometimes it's hard to make a conclusion. I've heard Debbie say that certain retail stores, I know we went to uh Dillard's store in Nashville, it was so many choices. The store was so big, you know, they just had a a 100 things of this and 200 things of that. (laughs) And it's like, I need to go to a store that has five, (laughs) you know, and one, two, three. You do the, you know, uh, you can flip your coin enough times and you can get down to the end of it, you know, but that's the way it is. God's got a lot of, of, of choices for us, but he said there it's up to you and I to reach a conclusion. Did you know a lot of times Christians don't have what God has for them in any measure apart Because they fail to reach a conclusion, thinking that they haven't made a decision. But you know, when we fail to make a decision, that by default, we did decide. Yes, we did. By not choosing to upgrade, we just choose to stay where we are. And the Lord is always wanting us to upgrade or to take new ground or to reach out. We've talked about it before, but I want to talk to you this morning about the Keystone Principle. I'm just enamored by this keystone principle. And the Lord has just really dealt with me this whole week. Actually, this morning, uh, 30 minutes before we left, I changed my whole message. I just completely, (laughs) Debbie said, what are you doing? I'm changing my message because I knew that he wanted me to talk about the purposes of her heart. But I was going a different direction, and he got a hold of me. Um, The keystone principle, as you know, the keystone is in an arch that's made of stones. You'll see these magnificent bridges, especially in the European countries, and they have these arches, either in a building or in a bridge, and there'll be these stones that if you were to lay them out flat across a water or across a room, they would naturally, they would collapse. The bricks that are over your garage, if you have a brick garage, they're held up not by an arch, but by a piece of metal in there, a piece of angle iron that's holding that up until the mortar settles. But over there, they didn't have that angle iron business or in windows, and so they would form an arch. And there'd be one stone at the top of the arch that would be shaped different than the other ones. It would be angled, and when they put the keystone in there, all of the pressure of the arch would come on that keystone, and that that arch would hold a tremendous amount of weight. It's an amazing physics principle. An engineering principle. It's an amazing thing. Put an arch up of these stones that laid out flat would just fall to the ground. Put them in an arch. Put a keystone at the top. And that one stone will cause all the other stones to bear an amount of weight that will greatly... It'll hold a tremendous amount of burden. So you see these great bridges in in Europe over the the Rhine River and the Thames and all that, and you go, how can that be that this was a 1600 or a 1200 uh, 1200 AD uh, bridge? That was this principle of the arch. Now, in you and I, what we see this uh, keystone principle in the military is when there would be something that the military would do on one side that would give them an inordinate advantage. It, instead of just going head-to-head, musket-to-musket, cannon-to-cannon, uh, but, uh, 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 bayonet-to-bayonet, the, the, the generals would try to find out what the keystone would be, whether it would be to take a hill over here that would give them advantage over the plain or whether it would to, uh, to be to work around a river or something that would take a normal effort that would just be one-to-one and give them an inordinate advantage. And so you and I have to find our keystones in life so that we're not just getting up with our 24 hours, our our strength, our emotions, everything that everybody has, that we just go out there and try to do battle with the world one-on-one. The Lord wants to give you a keystone of what is the first thing or the necessary thing in your life to engage that will put you out and above and ahead of the game. And so the Lord's always talking to you about a keystone. Whether you know it or understand it, he's always talking to you about it. And we come up with things, you know, you'll clip a coupon or you'll find a sale or you'll get a car that gets better mileage. We're always finding a particular keystone. We'll go and get a degree in a particular place, anything that gives us an advantage. When we raise our children, we try to get them into the best schools and we try to educate them, give them an advantage of every kind. The keystone that we would ask the question going into 2010 is what is the one thing that you could do right now to give you the greatest advantage for next year? What is the one thing? I know there's a lot of things on your life. You could say finances. Well, we need healing. Well, I got some kin folks, and I got my job is just a bear, and my car's not running good, and the heater at home, and you know, the grass won't grow under the trees, and a whole bunch of things that you would say, my life has just got lots of unresolved conflicts in it. But what is the one thing that would give you the greatest advantage that if you would concentrate your energy and your finances and your emotions on it would clear out and move you ahead of a lot of other things. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, if you would. We're talking about going into the new year thinking right. We're talking about going into a new year with the same perspective that God has. That not every year is the same, although every year has the same amount of days and the sun comes up the same as last year, but yet there are things in the timetable of God that make this year, this coming up year, different than last year. You're different. The world is in a different season right now, the timetable prophetically is advanced. Your needs, if you got children or you had children or you're getting children, you're changing. If you're graduating from school or you're going to school, things are going to be different next year. And you've got to be in sync with that. The Bible says, I believe it's chronicle, that the sons of Issachar had an advantage over their brothers in the system because they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Well, this is an Old Testament situation. These are people that didn't have the greater one on the inside. They didn't have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. How about you? We ought to have understanding to know what we should do. In Acts chapter 3, look at this scripture. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, Was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Now, let's stop right there. Why did he have to ask alms at the gate of the temple? Was it because he didn't have a mind? Was it because he was ugly? Was it because he just didn't want to work? He had one problem, he had one issue, he had one challenge he had weak ankles. And it set his whole life back, even though it was just one part of his life. His whole life was moved back because of one part of his life. And it says here that Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. That is so cool. That silver and gold wouldn't have fixed his situation. It would have funded him for that day. And we're all engaging in activities that keep us going for that day. But it doesn't always, what we do that day doesn't advance us through the next day. The Lord wants to give us things that will take care of more than just this day. He wants to advance our life to live above this day. And it says there's silver and gold, have I none? Even though the man thought that's what he needed. That's what the man was asking for, but he was asking for something less than what he really needed. He was settling for something less than the real need of his life. He had not come into a revelation of, this is what I need to change my life, because the silver and gold that men were giving him did not change his life. He had to be put down there every day and had to go through the rigor of it every day, and then he went home and then came back the next day. Nothing changed. Family, I don't want to go through next year with nothing changed. I don't want a repeat of 09 or 08 or any good year or bad year. I want a fresh year next year. I want to know what it is that will change my life so it will not be the same as last year. No matter how good it was, there's more. And it said there that Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately... His feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God. So that was a keystone for this man. All of a sudden, he was able to work. He was able to engage with his family. He could have then had a family, we don't know, and had grandchildren and could have been a councilman, could have been president of the Everything was different now because of strength in his bones. These little bones down here at his feet, those things receiving strength changed everything. A small part gave him great advantage. So you and I, even though we seem to be needy in some areas, what we really need, what we actually would have to ask the Lord is usually just one area that would put us over every limitation and disadvantage that we're facing. It's not money, usually. Money is a blessing. I like money. Y'all like money? We're all after more money. More money is good. But usually, unless it's plugged in just right or because it meets a need that changes something, a different dynamic than food and shelter and that sort of thing, it does not change our life. I'm not saying that without it you would be good, but I'm telling you with more of it, unless you have some way to use it to give you a keystone, it's just going to be more of the same. Even though we spend most of our time and our energy going after money, it is one of the lowest pursuits that we can have. Amen. But yet we think about it all the time, we're engaged in it all the time, and we deny access to the things that are really important because we're after that lower thing in our life. You could raise kids full-time, and I'm all about raising your kids right. I'm all about, let's get those little guys up and get them in the Lord and get them right. But some people, they can't do anything until they've raised their kids. And you think, well, here they are, they've raised their kids, they follow them to college And then they follow him when they get married, and they're involved in every decision and everything. And then grandkids come, and and so they've spent their whole life absorbed by a lower thing that could have been given at a higher level had they engaged a keystone. So it's called settling, where you settle for what's available rather than pursue what is not seen. And the Lord is smart. He's so wise. He's got so much. And he looked at you and I before we were a thought to our parents and said, I have a perfect and a divine and specific plan, and I want you to carry it out. Not just so you'll get blessed, but I put you in the earth at this time, at this place, so that you'll be an interaction to other people and be a supply to them so that their life will be blessed. And I put them in the world at this time so that they would come into your life and be a supply and a blessing to your life. It's not like it's just all about me or all about you. We are sent here to help facilitate the will of God in other people's lives and them for us. We need them and they need us. But if you just live unto yourself, you know, I got to work all the time and I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm raising these kids. I'm trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to fix the leaks at the faucet. I'm trying to get the car running. If we spend all of our life, if it takes all of our life to live our life, then we fail to live the will of God. I was this morning just so thankful. I mean, it just came over me. Just in the bathroom getting ready this morning, thinking, God, I am so grateful for indoor plumbing. I mean, you think, well, what is that all about? You know, everybody has it. But you know, that's not true. All God's children don't have indoor plumbing. We watched Christmas Story with a Chevy Chase, and the little girl was talking about being raised in the RV and said that you don't have to go outside every time you want to go to the bathroom. Well, that kind of hit me this morning. It's like, God, it's cold outside, and here I am, you know, inside, inside, and there's porcelain. And there's valves to open water, and there's knobs to flush water, and this is great, God. And I got excited about indoor plumbing this morning. Hadn't had a wreck, hadn't had trouble, just got blessed by the indoor plumbing thing. (laughs) You know, and if your refrigerator ever goes out, you go, oh, God, I love this refrigerator. So sometimes you have to get down to the basics and thank God amen but with all this wonderful stuff in our life the indoor plumbing the refrigerator the cars and all that if we're still completely absorbed with our own life if we're completely inundated with the burden of life and yet we have all these devices and all these things then we could have been put in the little house on the prairie days we could have been back there with Wyatt Earp you know you know if we're not going to do any more with our life than that then we might as well have been back there where they were trotting out to the outhouse Going down to the creek, you know, a half a mile away and getting a bucket of water. But enough of that. Hallelujah. Well, the man at the gate, beautiful. How awesome it was that he got his life changed. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We don't know what this man's faith was doing. We don't know if he had been believing God for more than the alms, things have to happen behind the scenes for things to happen. And so he doesn't say that he'd been believing God or that he was after God, but obviously he had a vision for more than what was happening in his life. Somehow he, like the prodigal son, came to himself and began to reach out in his faith to God. He was a covenant man. And so God began to meet his need. It says in chapter 18 of Luke, verse 18, and a certain ruler This is what we call the rich young ruler. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these things have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when we heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw him, he began to talk about the rich people. Here was a man that was presented with a keystone, but it didn't come in the package that he was expecting. He was asking a question, Lord, how may I inherit eternal life? And the Lord came around from the side and said, you're asking the wrong question or you're expecting the answer to come in a way that it cannot come. He said, if you're expecting a spiritual answer. You're expecting me to say, man, buddy, you've got it. You are the doing the commandments here and you're doing the commandments there. You are top notch. You are the man of faith. You are the man of the hour. I ought to get people to come under. He was expecting to be Pumped and lauded. Instead, Jesus cut to the bone and he said, do this. But it wasn't what he expected. And he couldn't handle it. It was the greatest day of his life. And he missed it because he wasn't expecting it how it came. Amen. So we know that he missed it. Now, there is a tradition that this man was Barnabas. That this man then came to himself with his goods and riches and began to seek how he might seek the Lord. And in the book of Acts, it says, I believe in chapter 4, it talked about how they came to the apostles' feet and began to fund the Pentecost revival that was going on there by giving lands and uh, money to the apostles. Tradition says that that man was Barnabas. And then, of course, we know in Acts 13 where Paul took off with Barnabas, and it all worked out. But he missed his initial turn, if that indeed was him. He missed it here in this account. How many of y'all have missed the Lord and then looked back later and said, Doggone, that was God. I thought it was just not it at all. Get behind me, Satan, and I cast you down, you thoughts of this, that, and the other. And it was the Lord all along. And all we can do is say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent give me another chance. In Matthew chapter 11, look there with me. Jesus talks about our life as Christians, how they should look and what they should have in them. In verse 28, he says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now there's two meanings to this verse. He's talking about the sinner here, That should get born again. He said, all that you that labor and that are heavy laden, talking about the life of the sinner, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. That's talking about the new birth. But he's also talking about us that are just in the world, even as Christians, how we labor in the curse-filled world. Then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. Where do you find rest here? in your souls. Even though we work hard and we deal physically in the world, he's talking about the real burden that Jesus comes to take is the burden that's on our mind, will, and emotions. You can handle about anything physically, but where we lose it first is in our soul. Is that where you lose it? That's where I lose. You get weary in well-doing. You get mad at people. You begin to criticize folks. You begin to complain about how things aren't working out. And it's an indirect implication that the Lord's not taking care of us or that his promises are failing or that he doesn't care, which are all not true. But when we begin to get weary in our soul, we begin to go to the negative side where the sinners go. That's where they are. They don't go there. That's where they are. Anything that a sinner has, someone that's not born again, that's, that's upbeat, is just simply optimism. Optimism is an attitude. Faith is a substance. Hallelujah. It's the life force of God that's in us. And then he said in verse thirty, "For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking there about the new birth. My yoke is easy. And then he's talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. My burden is light. How the Holy Ghost takes up together with us and begins to take the yoke of life and the burdens of life and make it easy. The Holy Ghost will make life easy. Hallelujah. Not just being born again, but having the Holy Ghost on us. So Jesus talks about how we should always move towards God in the sense of an easy life. And that if our life is hard, that we haven't learned of him and we haven't taken up his yoke. Now, we've got to stop our lives. Every once in a while, family, you've got to stop your life and just say, is my life easy right now? Or am I mad at everybody? Do I think everybody hates me and is mad at me? Is everybody treating me unfair? Is everything going wrong? We got to stop and say, "Whoa, this promise was to me and to everybody forever it's me <laughs> When everybody's bad, it's not everybody it's us and it, sometimes people do get bad here and there, and you run into those people. But when everybody's all wrong and the whole world is is caving in. It's not the whole world. It's us. So, he said, take my yoke upon you. And he's talking about the wisdom of God coming through us from inside and giving us the plan to get us through. In James chapter 3, he gives us the answer. So, I want you to go to James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, it talks about our life. So, I got to ask you this question. What is the priority... In your life today for fulfilling the rest of your life, what is it that you would say if someone had a dreaded disease, someone that was like the man at the gate, beautiful, and you would ask them, What is it that you want? Immediately they'd pop it out there and say, Man, I want to be healed. I'm living under the bridge. But here in this room today, we're all living in the so called American dream. We're not plagued with demons like in some countries and witch doctors and the water's clean and commode flushes and the dishwasher comes on the car you can buy gas every day we're living in a pretty cushy life comparatively it's really days of heaven on earth even though there's a bunch of cranky people out there that we're having to deal with but if you were to say but what about you What is it that is the priority of your life that you say, in my life or in my soul, I am seeking this for my life? See, because in America, you could easily say, man, I just don't have any needs. We're going to be missing it at that point. We all are needy concerning the will of God. We are all in hot pursuit of more than just living our life. When you ask somebody, how are you doing? And they say, yeah, everything's good. They're talking about that they are in America and that America's working. But when we talk about what about our life, the mandate, or what the Bible calls to make your calling and election sure, there's so much more. So much more. It could be that from heaven's perspective that all of us, before we're 45, should have been to a foreign country for six months ministering. Well, that's crazy. Well, But what if it was true? We would all be found failing. It could be that from heaven's point of view that we should all be able to quote the Gospels from memory. That that's just heaven's requirement saying, you don't know the Gospels, you are a deadbeat. It could be that if you hadn't raised somebody from the dead by the time you're 50, that you are disqualified, that you're considered to be on the fringes of being a true Christian? What if that was heaven's standard? What if there was so much more than just not falling prey to demonic forces and not going off and marrying 17 times? What if there was a standard of heaven that was way, way above American standards? We would all say, well, God, I didn't even know. And I struck completely out because hadn't been to the foreign country. I can't read three scriptures together. We'd all have to say, Lord, I have lived a life of a slug. Hello, what if? And you say, but, Lord, i got four kids, and I've got two jobs, and my wife is crazy. <laughs> what if we started giving him excuses? And he said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The guy at the gate, beautiful, got his answer. And he was way back from where you are. You can get yours. Abraham was way older than most folks that have troubles, and he got his. And miracle after miracle and thing after thing that the Lord would begin to bring to us and say, I did it for him, I did it for him, and I'm no respecter of persons. I could do it for you. So we go back to the beginning of what I was talking about, that as he purposeth in his heart, so shall it be. He's so abundantly, he'll reap bountifully. You sow sparingly, he's going to reap sparingly. He said, it's according to what you want. You can't blame heaven. We ought to go into this new year with thinking right. Thinking big in small places. I know where you are that you're probably thinking, it is so small where I am. But he's big inside. So we've got to move the big inside to where we live and what we're doing. Hallelujah. James chapter 3. Look here. It says in verse 13, "...who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation." That word conversation is Old English for lifestyle. "...let him show out of a good lifestyle his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts..." Glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but this wisdom is earthly, sensual, devilish. One translation says demonic. So the wisdom that has bitter envying, strife, is not from God, but from the devil. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easily to be entreated, come on y'all, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So just now when I was talking about, well, maybe the Lord wants you to know the whole gospel by memory, and he wants you to have gone to a foreign country and won a thousand people to the Lord. You go, I couldn't do that. But this right here, this little part here is just about as stout. To get this working in our lives, oh my. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Now here it is, verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war and yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So here he's talking about living a carnal life instead of a spiritual life, and how weighty and hard that is. The people that go into Vegas, the people that are running around not knowing Jesus and not serving God and keeping all their money, they're not tithing, they're not bringing offerings, they're not sowing it, they're keeping all of it, says they have a terrible life. Actually, you and I have the best life. Here we are serving God with our time, with our money, with our energy, and he said, you have a good life. That wisdom that comes from above that you purpose to engage, he said it brings you a good, good life. Now we go back to the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where it talks about if you sow bountifully or you sow sparingly, it's according as a man purposeth in his heart. Turn back there with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 wake up, church. We're all going to wake up. We're going to wake up by revelation or we're going to wake up by tribulation. It's up to us. You can wake up, be having a great life, loving God and blessed, and God by revelation brings it into you and says, I want you to do this and I'm going to empower you and fund you to do it. You go, this is a great day. Or you can wait by tribulation where nothing's working out. You're at the end of your rope. You're stressed out. You're strifed out. Everybody's no good, and everybody's crazy except you. And, Lord, what's wrong with the world? And you can get it by tribulation. But the Lord wants you to get where you're supposed to be blessed all the time. It's as you and I purpose in our heart. Sometimes we're so contending with life so long at a time that we don't stop and say, what is the purposes of my life? In chapter 9, it says there in verse 7, every man, before I start there, see if we can make it say something without getting caught up with the details. Verse 7 says, every man according as he purposes in his heart. Now let's skip the rest of that verse. Go straight to verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Did you catch that? As you purposeth in your heart, God is able to make all grace abound. Grace comes by faith. You access the grace by your faith. By grace are we saved through faith and that not ourselves. It's the gift of God. So grace is accessed by faith. So if we'll get in faith, I purpose in my heart to get in faith, Lord, about your plan and will for my life, grace comes. And what does grace do? It has all sufficiency in all things where you abound to every good work. What's the good work? The yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So life is a piece of cake, so to speak, if you think right and you're willing, like Garland said, to be a doer of the word. Now, I'm speaking to the choir this morning, and I understand we're not talking to people here that just are going the other way, but all of us, all of us, all the time have to be stirred up inside to think right, because we're in this world, and this world thinks wrong, and it can sway us. It can pull us off. It's the proverbial frog in the kettle thing. We're not jumping at sin. We're not jumping at immorality, but little by little, this world will pull us off until one day we think, where did I come from? We have to stay sharp to do that. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. And let's get this straight. Let's get it from God's perspective. Now, we can buck up and rebel and say, no, and I'm not doing it. But at least we would know, here's what God said we could have and how we could do it and what it would do for us. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. You just got to read this all the time. always got to go back to this because it's the mainstay. It says in verse 5, "'Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones.'" "'Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. "'So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. "'My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. "'For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father of the son in whom he delighteth. "'Happy is the man that findeth wisdom.' I like that part, don't y'all? And the man that getteth understanding for the merchandise or the profit of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire cannot be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Well, family, it'll never be different than this, that wisdom is the way of the Lord. So we've got to ask ourselves this morning, if you are stuck, where are you stuck this morning? Where are you thinking wrong? Where do you have flawed thinking? Where are the purposes that you have in your heart misguided? Not on purpose, certainly not maliciously, but where are we thinking wrong just from having gone our own way in the pursuit of the things of God? What is the keystone that you need for your life? What do you say, God, in the strategy of my life and the calling on me and my family, What is it that I need in my life that would put me out ahead and get me out of the cycle and the routine of this daily living, of going to work and raising kids, all of it good, all of it right, wouldn't take any of it out, but it shouldn't be our life. It should just be in our life. What is the keystone, Lord, that if I had this fixed, it wouldn't just be good, it wouldn't be like a $100 gift card at Christmas that says, well, that's good. We'll do this or we'll do that. That's good. But something that changed every part of your life, changed your family, it changed your money, it changed your relationships, it changed everything. What is it that we need? What relationship is key to your future? Who is it that you must have in your life that you cannot advance without them coming into your life in some way? God has somebody for all of us. You may think, I got enough friends, I got enough people, don't need no more. You're wrong. There's someone that you have not opened your heart to, someone that's been knocking on your life, and you go, you know, I'm really busy, sorry, or whatever. Relationships are everything. The kingdom of God is totally based on relationships. It's certainly not on stuff or the accumulation of it. Who can open your door? that you can never open by yourself. There's somebody, there's some door that you can't get open by yourself. I have to call people and say, what about this? I know you've been down this road. I know you understand this. I am clueless about this. And they'll tell me things I never knew. But I had to have a relationship with them. Come on, y'all. Are you at the wrong job because you simply are unable or unwilling to follow the purposes in your heart. I was thinking the other day just about how jobs, if they can keep us till we're about forty-five, they know almost certainly that we're not going to start over from forty-two to forty-eight, something in there. That usually, if they can somehow keep you in that job till then, that they've got you. They can treat you any way they want to because you're not going to change. So, if you're going to change, you either have to change because there's a great opportunity at a young age, or that you just heard from God and moved on it. What about, what are you reading? What are you reading? What are you reading? Because you are what you read, and you are not what you don't read. Who you are with, who are your friends? Who are you hanging out with? Because every relationship takes you up, or takes you down. There is no relationship that is neutral. Every relationship should be someone that you are ministering to or that you are receiving from. All other relationships are not of God. God didn't send them. You just want them. Your soul just wants them, and it's a lazy relationship. (laughs) okay. Who are you intrigued by? Who is it that frames your world? Man, I wish I could be like them. Who is it that you look to and say, that's where I want to be, or that's what I want to do? You got to be careful who you idolize, or who you look after, or who you seek to imitate, because that's what's coming into your life. Amen. Let me ask you, is pleasure or entertainment in your top 20 list of things you would like to have happen in your life. Do any of the first top 20 or 25 involve entertainment or pleasure? We're Christians, y'all, and God brings pleasure to us as a byproduct of serving Him. Who is it that you've got to forgive in order to advance your life to the next step? That you can't do anything more than get up in the day and go to bed at night until you forgive somebody? That it's just not happening? Nothing's gonna happen until you forgive or until you are forgiven. the Word talks plenty about if you've wronged somebody or if somebody has wronged you, Jesus said. If someone walked on your daisies, you're supposed to go to them, listen to me, and say, I need to get this straight. Are y'all here? We're talking about keystones. We're talking about purposing in your heart to take a big step and not be willing to take a 12-month step in 12 months. Let me ask you this. What seed has God led you to sow that you just can't seem to get it out of your hand? (laughs) Amen. The last thing I had is, do you practice the Sabbath? And I'm not talking about coming to church on Sunday. Do you have rest time where you stop your life on purpose and draw aside and let God fill you back up? You're not involved in work or family, but you stop your life. We all have to have a Sabbath. The Sabbath is a principle, not just of Sunday, not a church thing, but of stopping and resting our lives so God can tank us back up with revelation, with wisdom, with danger signs, with things that we have to have. But if you don't have that, then you are heading out into your life without his counsel and wisdom and without his stuff. Let's just talk about purposing in our heart. He said that you would have what you purposed in your heart, not what heaven wants, but what you purpose in your heart to have. If you sow bountifully or if you sow sparingly, he said that's what you're going to have, according as a man purposeth in his heart. So let's realign our purposes. Now, we can't hardly do that this morning, but what we can do is the sense of, of a resolution like the world has, but that we're seeking revelation like God has. That we're saying, Lord, I need to know the keys of my life. It's presuming that you don't know everything about your life and future. It's presuming that God knows things you don't know and that you want them. That God's got good stuff and you want and need the good stuff and that you got to stop your life and say, I'm going to download God. So let's hold one hand up to heaven. Hallelujah. Say this, Father, in the name of Jesus, I am teachable I want to learn of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of God that's in your heart and that's in my heart. Today, I determine and I purpose to find that plan, to get the details into my life of your plan and your strategy for me. Thank you, Lord. You're not hiding it from me, but you've hidden it for me. I take it and receive it by faith that 2010 is the best year of my life. Things are working out. Things are a blessing. And I am happy. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'll tell you, family, wisdom is what God wants to pour into our lives. Wisdom. Not information, that's part of it, but it's wisdom. He wants you and I to be wise men, to be like Issachar, that we have an understanding of the times that are around us, that we're not just talking about what the news is talking about, what Fox and CBS are talking about, and we just go around talking about them and Alabama football and what's happening in the president, that we are way living above that. We are way above. That's not our conversation. We just do enough of it to keep the sinner entertained until we can draw them in. But our life is on the kingdom of God.